This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, engineers accidentally discover a new propeller. And Enstrom helicopters are back in business. Van strikes up even more frenzy with some RV-15 updates. Aircraft registration certificates are extended officially. Also, Cirrus is standing down. We'll talk about why. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, sky back. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, our guest is Earl Lawrence. This is somebody who you've gotten to know over the years, photographing him. He was with EAA and then with aircraft certification at the FAA and now with yes. an autonomous company called X-Wing. That's right. And Earl is going to talk to us a little bit, Ian, about automation in aviation and what he thinks the future will hold for automation. And I asked him a little bit more about GA updates. Uh, you know, he is a twin Comanche pilot. And also, we talked a little bit about aviation fuel. So he's got some good insights on that. Okay, cool. So uh, we'll get to him in a few minutes. But first, we want to talk about uh, a lot of new tech, actually, in the news this mm -hmm. week. The first is this kind of cool prop design that we saw AvWeb report on. It's you say it. You say it really well, much better than I can. Toroidal props, Ian. Toroidal, okay. R researchers at MIT, they, they did some uh, experimentation, and they found this by accident. I love that. So, that is so wild. That's, that's great. Someone might ask, what is a toroidal propeller? Yeah. And it looks like it's an enclosed surface, not really a disc, hmm. but kind of a, a almost circular surface with some curves on it. I think this is an interesting story. It, it blows my mind away. You know, for, before anything else, I'm going to say this group was not out to find toroidal propellers. They were trying to do research on silent aircraft propulsion hmm. using an eon drive, not an not an EN drive, but an an ion drive. I guess I'm yeah. mispronouncing it. I got confused because I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. And all I'm gonna say about this is being me aboard, Scotty. Yeah, it's it is cool. It reminds me a little bit of one of those like um, you'll see people draw infinite loop sort of things, you know, yeah. or like the infinity sign sort of. Probably not for an airplane. They talk about it. In fact, they show a picture of it being used for a drone, which I think would be. You know, it's probably more likely where we'd see something like yeah, that. That'd be a great application for it. Yeah, absolutely. But you mentioned their work was in in less noisy prop design, and that's I think 
probably where it's most exciting. And they talk, apparently these are used on boats as well. And people say when you see videos of these on boats, it's unbelievable how much quieter they are. How interesting, Ian. I mean, you know, looking to find propulsion within uh, within ion drive, I mean, that sounds so Star Wars and Star Trekky, you know, for the yeah. future. But I, I, I can appreciate the fact that it, it would be much quieter because the vortices are sort of distributed a little mm. bit uh, more over a wide area. And that makes sense because the propeller arc, you know, uh, the shape of the propeller is what provides the, the noise signature, you know, yeah. the outer tips. And Absolutely. this is this is spread out instead of just at the tip. Yeah, that's that's you know, we we don't really think about the prop as being the noise problem, but when you when first of all, two things. When you see like a a Robinson flyover, I mean, those are basic GA engines, right? Right. But right. what you hear is the rotor blades. You hear maybe a little bit of the engine, but you hear, the, hear the, that high whine of the tail rotor and then the lower of the main rotor. And then the T6. I mean, you hear a T6 fine. It's like, man, that prop is what you hear really first. So, yeah, they, they, it could be some pretty significant changes with, with prop noise reduction. And that's especially important in places like Europe where they have standards for that thing. Right. Well, I say that the future might be bright for this type of technology in certain applications, including... Some, maybe some of the autonomous aircraft that we'll talk about later in the show. Yeah. But uh, if you're not going to beam me up, uh, Ian, I'd say we move on. <laughs> All right. So a little closer to reality, Enstrom. We've talked about them a, a little bit recently because they went through a hard time. They were Chapter 7 liquidation. company was shut down for a little while. Thankfully, they had a buyer come in relatively quickly. Actually, a guy from the Midwest, helicopter owner, brought that plant back on and they have just built actually got their production certificate back just built that the first helicopter post reopening yeah the 480b helicopter and ian and i uh, you know we both did a little bit of research on on this you know instrum more than i do but that design was um, basically made in the late 80s updated in the early 90s as the 480b mm-hmm. they they got the show back together they got the assembly line going they made a fabricated a new helicopter with some of the parts that they might have had on site but it was built using components that were procured machine fabricated and assembled uh, right there, and yeah. that is in Michigan, right? Yep. And you've been yep. there, Menominee. Yeah, Menominee. Yeah, Menominee. Yeah, it's on the UP. And so that's their 255th 480 series helicopter. Yeah, we did go for a visit a couple of years ago just to talk about really how they were doing. They were selling really well at the time. They had a lot of groundwork on the sales team. They had done some foreign contracts, um, so we got to fly the 480. Really nice helicopter. Flies very well. They are incredibly stable. I couldn't believe, you know, you put them in a hover and they've got a little little hat switch trim and it's like you can almost go hands off in the hover. They're so stable. Now, folks who are not helicopter pilots, this is saying a lot about yeah. a helicopter to does say a lot. go hands off. That's uh, I mean, it's unheard of in something smaller like a Robinson. Like if you. Yeah, forget it. F- from the few lessons that I've taken, I asked the instructor, hey, what happens if I sneeze and my headset flies off? And the instructor said, you land then you put on your headset yeah, and then you take right. off yeah, again. Yeah, no distractions. Um, and it's a, it's a cool company. I mean, it was a local guy, Rudy Enstrom. He built the first one kind of in his backyard. He used wood for the main rotor blades. I mean, the company is totally vertically integrated. So yeah. a lot of the machinists and everything, they're coming from local places. They're building everything. They're making the plexiglass. They're you know they're buying the avionics and the engines, and that's kind of it. They're they're building all the rest of it, and so so it's a vertically assembled uh, and not, no pun intended, but it's yeah right. It's a vertical company. They they are making most of their own componentry, 
And you said Rudy Enstrom designed this in, in the 1940s yep. at a Michigan, initial testing at Michigan Quarry in 1957. Wow. Yeah, very early. And now they operate on operate on six continents. Yeah. So that's saying something for that company. And when now, when were they bought again after the bankruptcy? Do you recall? It was only... Oh boy, they were they announced it maybe a month, two months later. I mean, it wasn't terribly long. So yeah, and that was only boy. I'm gonna have to. I'm going back here. Maybe six months ago. So yeah, it's good to see them back up to speed that fast. I think they were able to rehire a lot of the same folks. And so they they if you're going to HII, they are going to display that helicopter there at HII, which is great. So looking for uh, good things from them. HAI in Atlanta in March, early March. That's right. David, all right, the, the RV-15, we gushed about this thing when it uh, was revealed at AirVenture last year, and now they've given some updates. They've clearly been doing a lot of test work with this because they have a whole list, a whole laundry list of stuff that is is updated now on the airplane, and it's just it just is so cool. It's even more exciting, I think. It is. Dave Hirschman wrote an update. You know, Dave and I were out there when that uh, RV-15 was unveiled at uh, air venture i think we got you know probably the first look at it really in the hangar before it was even rolled out to the general public so we do have some some confirmed numbers and some different specs for that aircraft don't forget the aircraft that was rolled out during air venture was sort of a proof of concept airplane it was a flyable aircraft but a few things were up in the air uh, now we know there'll be at least 200 pounds of baggage in a really big cargo area 900 pounds of useful load. That's significant. Yeah, it's huge. At level flight at 140 knots or more. Mm -hmm. And the capacity to carry 60 gallons of fuel in two wing tanks. And it was not set up as a four-seat aircraft or even really a three-seat. I think it was a uh, now designed as a two-seat aircraft. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking there, boy... 60 gallons times six, that's 360 pounds, plus if you have 200 pounds of baggage, which is, that's a lot of baggage. 200 pounds is a lot of weight. So, you know, you're at 560 out of 900. That's pretty darn impressive. That's that's almost, well, that's what, a couple 180 pound guys. So certainly you're going to be able to load that thing up and keep going. They've made a couple other design changes. Yeah. Uh, the flap handle, I think, was kind of, it was a little overhead, if I recall. So that's on the floor now, where people are going to be a little more used to it. Right. Wing, they move slightly aft a little bit, fuselage a little bit longer, landing gear taller, which is amazing. I mean, it was already pretty darn tall on that gear. The engine will move one inch forward and one inch down. Slope of the windshield is going to increase for better aesthetics. They're going to taper the wing strut for drag. They're looking at about 140, was it 140 knots or miles per hour, I think? You said 140 knots, yeah. 140 knots or more. Max level speed, yeah. That's pretty good for uh, for a backcountry airplane. So this thing is going to be, it's obviously going to be a huge, huge seller. And a reminder that it's a high-wing airplane. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a departure for vans, yeah. but yep. they didn't say when it's going to be available or how much the, you know how much it would cost. And it assumably, it assumably people will buy it. You know, they'll be lining up yeah, around the block matter. for that bad boy. I know. You're right. So, yeah, it's still two to be determined when we're actually going to see one for real. And we'll be right back. All right. Aircraft registrations. This has been such a major pain point the last, what, six, eight months. Normally, that pink slip you get, you change registrations, you buy an airplane, whatever, you get a pink slip. Good for 90 days. It's been taking right. six months or more to get the permit. Backlog. So you've yep. had to go in and get extension after extension after extension. We've talked about this, that there was a new law that extended that registration to seven years, from three to seven years. Right. And so now, David, we've got some more details on exactly how this is going to work. 
Yeah. So the main thing is that listeners that are aircraft owners that pay attention to us uh, via the Hangar Talk podcast or lately on YouTube, y'all need to know that you will be receiving in the mail an an updated aircraft registration that will update your registration period to seven years. So in fact, if you have a registration that say it was a three-year registration, you're going to get a new registration certificate. That's my understanding. And um, they're going to be sent out in uh, kind of as we're recording this, Ian, in early February. And the backlog will be uh, even less time. We, we, like you said, uh, right around the holidays, it was uh, so long, it was up to 190 days. It's shortened now to 148 days you know, to process that information. But for aircraft purchases, FAA will no longer issue letters of extension, and instead, the aircraft registration application, or what we refer to as the pink copy, will remain valid until the applicant has received a registration certificate or a denial notification, which we hope you don't receive. And so that, to me, is uh, is uh, interesting, and that should happen within about within 12 yeah. months. So I guess keep that pink copy for at least 11.9 months. Yeah, until you no? need to yeah, call and say, hey, what's going on? So, I mean, obviously, with registrations going from three to seven years, that backlog hopefully will, will come down very quickly. Start to dissipate. Yeah, yes, so even though it's they're saying a year, it's like that the pink copy will be good for. Hopefully, it won't. it's not going to take that long. Um, and I just want to put a fine point on what you said because I think it's really important, and that is that if you are a current owner – you can go on there now. You can go on the registry now and see when your new expiration date is or do nothing and they will send you the new registration and it'll have the new date on it. And they're starting with those that are expiring first. So if you expire this year and the next couple of months, let's say, starting in February, in early February, hopefully you're going to get a letter that's going to, you know, with the registration and then, okay, now it's going to be your new date four years from now. And then each month they're going to send more and more and more until the people probably who have just recently renewed are going to get the long, you know, the letter last. But so I wonder when that may, I wonder when I'm going to get one because I applied for uh, a registration. It was like right right at Halloween. Hmm. So I guess I'm kind of at the end of the line, really, because February would be coming first, and then you know as we move along. So. I'll keep my eyes peeled for that, yeah. and I'll I'll keep that that pink copy available for, <laughs> I guess until next October. Yes, yeah. If I need Hopefully to. Hopefully, it won't be that long. Yeah. All right. I um, want to talk last about this story that just came out last night as we're recording this, and that is that Cirrus has voluntarily grounded its own fleet of SR22 and SR22Ts that were built between June 21st, 2021, and February 7th of 2023. And that is because there's apparently an issue with that Continental IO 550. And owners of the Cirruses received an email on February the 8th, which is which is the week that we're recording this podcast. Yeah. So that to me says that uh, that happened pretty quick, mm-hmm. and you want to keep an eye out for it. But now this, oh, just to reiterate, this is based on the Cirrus aircraft that Cirrus owns and operates yes. that are at. Uh, distribution centers and uh, and with re- serious representatives around the country. However, one might assume that it will be uh, more broadened to other owners uh, of, of Cirruses that are, are recent have recently bought them yeah. between the you know the uh, twenty twenty one and now. Yeah. So there's um, and, th- and that's a great point because 
there's nothing, there's no emergency AD, there's not even a service bulletin yet or anything else saying that you have to stand down. However, if the factory's doing it, you can know, you can be sure that something is going on. Continental apparently alerted Cirrus to this, and so we don't know exactly what the issue is yet. We haven't been able to find out. Likely it had, you know, it's some parts batch that Continental was manufacturing that went into the engine that they've been having some sort of an issue. We don't know what that is. They did say that uh, they anticipate that Continental will be issuing a service bulletin in the near future. Will that be enough? Is that all that's going to be a service bulletin? Maybe. We'll see. We know there is no, like we said, no AD, no emergency AD, anything like that. So it's a little bit of kind of wait and see what's going on here. But at this point, at least voluntary as to whether you want to keep flying your, your series if it was manufactured during that time. And we did get some of that information from Flight Global. So if uh, Mm -hmm. Cirrus owners who are listening to the podcast, if y'all want to go to Flight Global, take a look and and see some further details, which I am going to assume that we will all know further details shortly because Cirrus has led the has led the world in you know, manufacturing of aircraft in in that type of category for quite a while. My guess is that they're going to try to continue to be as transparent as they have been in the past. That's right. I think, in fact, if, if you extend this to the owner base, I think what AvWeb said that they calculated something like 700 airplanes that were manufactured during that period. So it's not insignificant. Right. Yep. All right, David. Hey, Earl Lawrence. So cool that you got to talk to him. He's doing uh, this this work that they're doing with these autonomous caravans and cargo is really cool stuff. And of course, he's got all this background and all this insider knowledge of what happened during uh, the whole fuels issue while he was right. there and some other stuff. And so um, and the Norsey, uh, yes. you know, com- basically componentry that we could put in aircraft, you know, like angle of attack indicator, some of the modern gadgets that we have now that we really depend on. Mm-hmm. Uh, were ushered through during Earl's uh, tenure as in the certifications branch of the FAA. And he is a twin Comanche owner. He will tell us a little bit more about that cool. as well. And uh, X-Wing is a company he is working with now, not Wing X, but X-Wing. All right, welcome to Hangar Talk, Earl Lawrence. Uh, you are now with X-Wing. You're a private pilot. You have a twin Comanche. You were formerly with the FAA Certifications Division. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now with automation and autonomy and aviation. Sure. So I've got a great opportunity right now. I'm working with, a, as you said, the company called X-Wing. I'm responsible for all of our compliance and quality there. And Um, It's a great organization. First and foremost, we're an air carrier. That's one of the great things. We're a regional cargo operator. We have uh, 35 Cessna caravans operating every day throughout the country in about 15 different states doing cargo deliveries, uh, mainly as a UPS feeder. They're mm-hmm. one of our biggest customers. And so that's a, that's a great thing. But we're taking a Cessna caravan and we've automated it. A fancy autopilot, I like to say, but okay. a fancy autopilot that actually taxis, uh-huh. takes off, uh-huh. cruises, lands. So we have auto land, we have auto takeoff, we have auto cruise. So if, if you think about cargo pilots today, 
a lot of early morning and late night operations. They can be kind of, you know, boring and risky, actually. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, just developing automation technology to uh, help them all out. So do you think that that will make aviation safer? Yes. Okay. Yes. And how so? You know, I, and this is the whole thing. I, I look at it, you know, autopilots really aren't new. When you look at autopilots, you know, we tend to forget they've been around since just about World War One, the beginning of aviation. You know, they're, they're, they've been around and we've seen things on aircraft as the aircraft got more complicated. We've been adding automation and pieces on, uh, of automation. And this is the that next step. That's the way I look at it. And that's one of the great things I like about working with X-Wing as an X-regulator is that we're following the rules. We're not coming in and saying, change the system or okay. change anything. We're operating within the current aircraft uh, Because of system. your past experience, you know what the rules are. You oh, know yes. how to adhere to those. Right. I see. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's one of the key things. And, you know, I think, you know, all the pilots out there, like this pilot too, we, we all care. We enjoy flying, right? But I, I think a lot of pilots out there also, you know, we have to admit, we kind of like having that autopilot. We like having the altitude hold. We like having, you know, the systems that monitor the engine for us and, you know, single lever controls. And, you know, so, yeah, this is taking it to that next level. But that increases safety. So think about an engine out. You know, our system goes through that POH checklist. Boom, 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 right? You know, like it handles everything. And you're not going to forget something like a human might. It doesn't forget. It doesn't get the checklist out of order. You know, so I, I hate to admit it because I just love going up and just flying myself. But this is business, and we're talking regional, you know, cargo operations. Cargo and carriers, and mainly at night, a lot of times in bad weather. Yes. Yeah. Early morning and late night, you know, those are the primary operations. You know, a, a day of a cargo pilot is not the most exciting. They get up early, oversee the loading of the aircraft, and I'm talking regional cargo, right? You know, there's also the big, the big airliners right. and things like that. But um, they get up early, they lo- make sure the aircraft gets all loaded up. They fly for maybe an hour, not even that, 45 minutes Just to an to, hour. Just to feed to another Just connection. Just to feed to another connection. Okay. They're in a hotel room for 10 hours after that. Wow. <laughs> and then they go back out, load everything up, and bring the aircraft back. Okay, so that's a, a job for a pilot. Yep. But you're saying the flying is minimal, the waiting around is, is maximum. Yes. So automation is going to change that. Automation can really help that. So think about if you're a pilot now and the aircraft can can do all these maneuvers by itself, mm-hmm. you can monitor the aircraft. So think of it a day, you know, like we have a hub in, in, in Raleigh. We have another hub in Michigan, another one in Texas, and another one on the, on the West Coast in Oregon. And think of a day if you, you could remotely monitor all this. You can get up in the morning. You can do a flight out of Raleigh. And, and send that, that aircraft out and oversee that whole aircraft. And the way our system works is, is our pilots still do all the air traffic control. So they're, they're the ones talking to the controllers. They're the ones handling it. But the aircraft itself is now automated. So you do that flight outbound. Mm-hmm. Then you can go to Texas, pick up a next flight, do an outbound. Think of it, we're doing time zone changes here, right? So you could actually be doing the same, fl- you know, a flight at 9, at 9, at 9. <laughs> you know, oh, working that's across. interesting. So the, the, yeah. pilot, the pilot themselves, will be on the ground, yep. hunkered down, but they can move through the time zones and pick through. up another flight, right. operate that. So they're remotely operating that aircraft. Yeah. And actually they're going to get 
a lot more flight time on top Okay, of I was going to ask you that. Now, how can we write this down in our logbooks, Earl? Well, well, you know, the way it works right now, because we're following the existing regulations, yeah. we're using existing pilots. Okay, so, you know, and cargo, well, let's, let's admit it, cargo operations are a flow through. You need about 1,200 hours just to qualify to fly for our air carrier, okay? And we all know what happens at 1,500 hours, okay? I think everybody, that's a reminder. For our you know, listeners, you, 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 a lot it, of folks are jumping ship. Yep, they're yep, going get, to the airlines, yep. regionals, or, uh, or the big airlines. Right. And there are, there are signing bonuses yes, these days. Exactly. It's very attractive. Exactly. Okay, so so we got the 12 to 1,500 hour sweet spot then for yep. you guys. Yes. yes. So are you looking to fill that mainly? I mean, you want people to stay. We, well, we do. We do. And and actually, one of the exciting things I think about it is, is there's a good number of, of pilots out there that have lost limbs or arms that can't get into a air carrier, you know, carrying passengers or something. It's hard to get that wheelchair through. Up I and, got and through you. There. The physical but, disability right. is, a, is a, a hindrance, but they've got the They're skills. They're pilots. they got right. the skills. Think of all of our veterans and things like that. Yeah. We are a perfect employer for that. So oh, we're putting we're these pilots into commercial service, you know, so, so it's like they can continue their commercial career. There's a great opportunity. So that's another thing. It's a bonus to this, right? That's not yeah. why we're doing the technology, but it is a great opportunity. So this really isn't about cutting pilots out of the system. This is improving things. This is the next step in automation. That's what I was going to ask you. Um, I was going to ask you as a private pilot, as a GA pilot, with your twin Comanche that you have uh, over in Virginia, how do you feel about that if it would you know, sort of threaten the opportunity for other pilots? It sounds like you're trying to augment instead of cut out. Well, we are. You know, there's something about the, you know, the human. We, you know, right? There's, there's a lot of, of, of things that um, we do that haven't been. We don't have AI on all the aircraft, and we don't have the computers that can do all of our thinking. But we do have the systems to automate all the boring things that that are there now. Again, the human factors folks will come into you. Well, so now how are we going to keep the pilots awake? <laughs> um, right. And 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 there's things that'll evolve and and how we'll we'll deal with with all of those because they have to pay attention. Well, you it. said each flight is generally about an hour. Y- yes, it's not a long it's not a long flight. Huh? That's interesting. Skipping ahead a little bit. Sure. So we, we're not going to cut folks out. That would be the, my biggest concern, especially you know at AOPA we want to grow the pilot sure. population. Yes. Uh, in any way we can. But it, so now we're going to automate this. We're going to go ahead and automate it from startup to shutdown. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So so it's really pretty exciting the way a, the, the system works. We, we have an aircraft now. You can you can go to our website and check the video or just go to YouTube. It's and, flown. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah. we have an R&D yeah. aircraft that, that flies. And yeah. And it's really kind of unique. So those of you that may have the uh, Garmin app where you can upload your flight plan, think right. of it that. So we, we have an aircraft sitting there. We upload the flight plan okay. onto the aircraft, sure. okay? And then it starts, okay? And now, how does it start? It, and it, how, how are you checking? When the turbine how, aircraft, you're not really checking magnets, so, but how do you start and how are you going exactly. through Exactly. So, so well, think about a cargo operation. You have ground control. So you, uh-huh. we've got a marshaller out there, right? Yeah. They're, they're making sure things are clear. Okay. You got to make sure your weight and balance is good, the hazardous materials, right? You know, there's so everything for the setup. So you're, you're standing out there. You give the go-ahead. Yep, it 
And so the com you tell the aircraft to start its startup sequence. What does it do? It goes through the POH. It goes through all the checklists. It clears the air. You know, it clears the area. You know, it's got lidar. It looks at it, clears the area, starts it up, does all the the control checks. You know, ailerons up, down, mm -hmm. and and and. We right now we have a camera that that can watch that, but also you have the marshaller, and then the electronics on the aircraft actually knows that all the control surfaces. Think about, you know, if you do have an autopilot on your aircraft, you hit the button that says check autopilot, and it, oh, goes, it runs through that signal. Well, with sequence. the servos and everything, yes. you're you're getting that signal feedback, That's and so right. the the operator, the pilot operator, yes. can still monitor right. those signals. Exactly. I under, now and, I understand. And and if you're you know if you have to move, that's that can be done, or if you're on a ramp where you can do your run up it'll go ahead it'll do it'll do the run up the computer knows whether it's getting a hot start on a turbine and it oh, knows right. how to shut you know so it 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 is monitoring everything. It never gets tired. It knows every system on board the aircraft. It, it's monitoring all that. It's it, not going to spill coffee no, on the flight deck. It, it doesn't <laughs> spill coffee on the flight deck. And then when you when you get a clearance, let's just say we're at a controlled airport. Yeah. We talk that the remote pilot talks to the air traffic control tower, gets the taxi clearance, and some of the unique things from a safety standpoint is. You know, the aircraft is, because of its the LIDAR systems on board and the camera systems, it's clearing and it won't run into it. It'll stop. It won't run into anything. Yeah. It knows where they're – it can follow another aircraft. It'll maintain distance, just like your cars do now. It's a lot of those, those same systems. But what it'll do is it will never, for example, cross a runway. It'll – even if you so, – so just say you clear it and, and the clearance is – you know, use taxiway alpha to Bravo, cross runway one, hold short, you know, sh hold short of runway two, two, right? Let's just, let's, I made it all up. I don't know what, you know, okay. so you're going, it will hold short, it'll go that, it'll hold short of one until the pilot says, yes, you are cleared. Oh, because you're getting the, the towers right. clearing you to cross it, yeah, that. Right, exactly. Uh, that runway. But, I but it won't ever, like, mistakenly just go across unless it's actually been cleared. Well, we had an incident the other day That's in New right. York City where a couple of commercial airliners yeah. almost bumped heads. That would have been tragic. Yes. So yes. it'll avoid that kind of a thing. It, are you doing it, it with, when you do that, is it part of that visual via, via video link or is it um, no. via GPS or you were talking about LIDAR. So, and, and so the aircraft knows where it is via GPS okay. and then it's using LIDAR to, to clear the area. Explain to our folks who don't know what LIDAR okay. is, okay. what it is, because that's okay. very, it's very interesting. And I also want to mention that I've seen that in use now a lot with drones. Yes, yes. Well, drones and, and automated cars that you see driving okay. around. You, okay. you see, you'll see a, something round and you'll see something spinning around well there's a laser in there okay and late you know that's what the l and lidar is for it, it's a it's a laser light and it's like radar okay so it's measuring the distances but with light it does a 360 of course this is aviation so you have to be redundant you know so there's multiple systems um, of LIDAR that is uh, understanding what's in the area. So it's looking at a three-dimensional photo. It's actually, in three-dimensional area, it's actually building a sort of a visual picture of it, everything. It does. What's left, what's right, up, down, front, back. You, you, you've got okay, it. So yeah. it's clearing that whole area. 
And then we all, you know, we're also working with vision systems on top of that. And then the GPS, what is primarily used for the taxing. Now, there, there's actually, our taxiways are actually surveyed. So people go, well, GPS can be off. Well, yeah. can. Couple okay. Yeah. But the actual taxiways, there's a, you know, you can buy it as a service now. They're, they're specially surveyed so that, oh, that you know, you know exactly. It. So it knows where the center line is. But it's also using a vision system on top of that to double check the GPS. Are we really on the center line? Well, you know, I've rented some cars recently and they nudge me uh, into yes. the lane. and won't let me go out of that lane. And I was thinking that would be a cool trickle down to aviation. It sounds like it already That's is. That's what we're doing. So, so in a way, I don't want to say we're taking car technology per se, but all that learning, those sensors, those markets, we're yeah. now making that transition into okay. an aviation rated equipment and hardware and software and everything. And, and that's the big certification challenge. Well, obviously. you have really explained this because I was at a loss to try to figure out how it would work. And yes. you've broken it down, and I, I really do understand it. And it sounds like that could be a good opportunity for other folks, like you said, who maybe they've had uh, an aviation career in one facet, and now they want to transition into something else. Yes. Now, is there an age limitation on no, that? No. Like there is well, because for... it's, it's part 135, okay. so it's not part 121 where you have the mandatory retirement. Okay. And so, yes, we can bring folks back. And then it's a it's a more scheduled day, yeah. right? You know, so you can come in and do a shift, right, as, a, as opposed to, you know, because you can hand off aircraft. That's cool. People and um, I, I don't mean, want to claim it this way, but you can think of a little bit more like an air traffic controller. Right, you know, exactly. You, you know, they, they, they can hand off an aircraft to the next air traffic that controller. That makes sense. And they can switch out and, you know, you don't have to get up in the air to switch out pilots. Right? That it's makes sense. Tough. Or, or when, when the aircraft is out at a remote airport, you know. I, I don't have to have the same pilot there. at Someone know, else can pick it up. Just as if it was it a commercial crew waiting. The flight attendants are waiting on another right. pilot crew. Right. And it's the same kind exactly. of option. Exactly. Okay, I kind of understand it. You've broken it down really well. So that is very cool. It sounds exciting. And you don't see it as a threat to GA. We talked about that a little no, bit. No, and, 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 you know, and again, the, the we're having um, sensors on board that it, how many of us went, wow, when we started putting our iPads in there and, and uploading the ADSB yeah. and going, wow, I didn't realize all those aircraft around me. That's okay. right. They're all around. Yeah, and yeah. You, you, with your human eye, you don't see them right. very often. So yeah. we have radar. We have ADSB. So, we, you know, actual radar. And, and these are all compliant to what we call, you know, some people know of the RTCA standards that drive okay. a lot of the standards the aviation standards and avionics and sensors and things okay. like that. So, so we, you know, you, you have, we have all these systems. And so the aircraft actually has, again, I hate to admit it, but I have to admit it. It probably knows better what's around it, so it you know, from a situational awareness, other aircraft, yeah. um, whether they're, quote, non-cooperative. So if you're in the, the you know, no radio, Piper Cub, out, you know. But I mean, it happens. It, it happens. Sure. We, we, we know they're there and it's multiple sensors and backup and triple redundance on the computers and, you know, all, all the things you need to do 
for aviation certification. Well, and then we're talking about no radio aircraft like a Piper Cub or even aircraft that are low to the ground like agriculture yes, ops. Yes. I would think that the um, the cargo operation wouldn't really interface with that because you would be operating at a higher altitude level yes. unless you're immediately around an airport. Yeah, that's one of the unique things that we're doing, at least at the beginning, is we're all IFR operations. So remember I says, you know, for those of you who are, are lucky enough to have that, that you know, that Garmin app where you can upload your flight oh, yeah. and things like that. And that's a great thing to have, and that's what we're doing. But it's a clear—think about it. We're cleared. So we are not going anywhere unless there's a full clearance to the destination. It's been worked out. We don't even leave the ground until we know, yep, you're cleared to that airport. Okay. You know, and, and again, think about the missions that we have. Generally, within around 200 nautical miles, you're talking about, or less, right? You're talking about an hour. You can look at the weather. You can have a pretty good understanding. Now, think about all the weather that's available to both the the remote pilot, because now they get all the systems. They don't have to uplink to the aircraft, but we still uplink to the aircraft because we want the aircraft to be smart enough to, to know where to not to, fly into a right. Avoid that, or, you know, that something. And your yeah. pilot on the ground also is just thinking about this, Earl. They might have multiple screens set up around them, so maybe they can get the bigger picture yes. for looking at the the country or right. the region exactly. versus just your micro photo, which is is that one hundred, you know, right. that with that two hour fl- that that two hundred mile flight, that right. one hour that one hour in. Uh, 200 mile flight, right. one hour range, you know, range. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's a lot to this, but um, think about how the systems and the uh, the complexity of our systems on our aircraft has, has grown and how we've handled that by adding these automated systems on yeah. board. And that's really what we're doing here. We're taking it to that next step. What well, do you have in your twin Comanche? Do you have, I mean, I'm assuming you fly with an iPad mini or something. I, I, I fly with an iPad, yeah, absolutely. But, but you've gotten probably nice panel-mounted situational awareness. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I, I'm, I've got a primarily a Garmin radio stack, but I'm old-fashioned. I've got the, I still have the basic six round gauges. Yeah. Um, I'm still an old-school pilot. I learned on round and I still fly on round. Yes, I've flown, you know, the the Garmin 1000s and the 3000s and I've had some great experiences mm-hmm. in my career to fly a lot of a lot of neat aircraft oh, yeah. and, and systems. But I mean, you know, I hope it makes some of the reg, you know, some of the old school pilots out there feel a little bit more comfortable that the guy at the, you know, driving the automation flies an airplane with, you know, a basic six uh, around gauges and uh, still knows how to how to do that and and, and fly it in in IMC. You know, with, with with just those gauges, and you're sticking close to your roots too, because yes. you're still. I, it sounds like you really are um, keeping your passion for GA alive. You've got the Twin yes. Comanche over here in Virginia, the six pack. I like to hear about that. I just bought a <laughs> Piper Tri Pacer, a very vintage panel, so I understand that. Now l- let's project ahead a couple of years, then we'll come back to G- to GA and flying automation. Let's project ahead a couple of years. Are we looking at, um, with X-Wing, are we looking at, you know, 10 aircraft, 100, 1,000? What can you, what What does the company want to do? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll say right now, we'll make it really clear in the cargo operation, we don't have enough aircraft or pilots. 
we have work. We we've got the United States Postal Service. We got UPS. We we you know we we're we're partnering with you know with NASA and FAA on studies and you know how to implement all these things. But yeah. but we don't have a lack of work. But it's really hard finding pilots. As as I said, I we've got a you know or they, they, or they aircraft on, I would or, think too or aircraft for that <laughs> right. matter. You know unless you unless you can uh, even if you could afford to to buy brand new ones. Mm-hmm. You know obviously cargo we're kind of like that next. You know usually we're using the used aircraft to fit into that. Cost what about model, the Sky so. Courier? Uh, it's out. absolutely great yeah. aircraft. I mean, it, Textron's you know, they, got it, that in the works. Yeah. They delivered one or two, I think. Yeah, fabulous. Well, and and we're looking forward to automating those aircraft as well. That's how interesting. You know, we, we, do, we do have a relationship with Textron. We are tied in. I mean, we, we talk to each other. We share data. So this is not a, I, I don't want to say, you know, Textron sponsors us, but we have a relationship where we, we're working together. Well, you have to interface. Um, and interface. That makes sense. And, um, you know, we're we're looking forward once we finish with the caravan. Um, That's more for our operation, but to your question, right, you know, the whole thing. So we're operating, you know, 35 today. We could be operating 50 today if we had the 50 aircraft, okay? okay? I mean, easily. And I see cargo growing. So I do see it. Eventually, listen. I'm not one of those. The skies are not going to be darkened. You know, like like that. You know, I've been through this. I've been, spent a long time. Well, in, in with your aviation. previous job <laughs> at the FAA, you were probably getting hit from all yes, sides about yes. drones. I yes. know you had a big handle in getting drones, and yes. you know the regulations and 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 how does that going to work? I know you were intimately involved with that, right. and there was big fear that it would be a swarm of bees. You know, right. over us. Well, that that's always been the fear, right? You know, every time the new technology comes in, it comes. There's the reality of of how long it takes to produce aircraft. You still have to have crews, and you still have to train them, and you still need a pro- okay. you, know, you still need you, you still need approved air carriers. You still you know so this you know I'm <laughs> I don't see things changing like that. Okay. But when in the scheme of aviation, it is moving that quickly. It I is mean, moving it, forward. It, it, it is moving forward. We're we're talking. You know, in the three to five year time frame, these these will be operating. There are lots of companies who are attacking this challenge yeah. and looking at the automation. And it, it will come and it will be there. And, I, you know, I firmly believe that cargo operations will be the first. It's just like, how long did it take us to get rid of elevator operators? Even though That's they, interesting. You know, yeah. People, yeah. You know, we got to get people comfortable and and. How do you get? How do you build that trust factor with people? You need with the traveling public. You, you got to start somewhere. Yes. And cargo operations would that is a real good you know yes. front door for that to to, to get going. Yeah. That makes sense because you have to change the perception in right. some way. Now uh, let's look in the crystal ball sure. a little bit. Looking in my crystal ball. Okay, so <laughs> now. Um, we're talking about a lot of these EV tolls. Yes. You were involved in some of that as well. I'm still struggling with how that is really going to work. Any insights? Well, so there's a, there's a couple of things. The transition to electric motors is tremendous. Okay, the advantages, the reliability, yeah. the costs. Everybody knows it's the battery technology and or you know catching up. But right. but the transition to electric is happening. And it's going, you know, that I, I really see that as a way to do it. It's in cars and motorcycles now and bicycles. Well, just you know. just from a reliability and a safety standpoint, you know, we're going to move to electric yeah. motors. So now it's how that electricity gets there. And, and that's the race. Now, um, I, I, I really do see 
uh, battery-powered trainers and cargo operations and all that. And I really do see that in, do. in the coming in the coming no years. No kidding. A- absolutely. Now, I don't know how it's going to play out, though, mm-hmm. right? You know, because it'll take some time. I, I think what a lot of people see in the news, which I do see as a harder challenge, but it is coming, is the urban vertical lift stuff. So, exactly. so I always say a, a this. I see all these technologies making it and being introduced, but how many new things? So on some of these systems that are being proposed, you know, X-Wing's just working on automation. Understand. On a conventional aircraft right. that's already type certified, yeah. already has it. Okay, so that piece. So we have other companies that are doing automation, introducing a new power plant, mm-hmm. introducing a new vertical lift technology, mm-hmm. Introducing a new market, you know, uh, an urban market. Yeah, you, know, you know, so so like, it, and, it, and also yeah. challenging some of the regulations. Right. So okay. so you as you add all those things up, it just the the time period it's going to take to overcome all right. of those changes increases. Right. So, you know, I, in I, other words, each little piece of that operation is 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 going to take a while to yes. achieve. Yes. And so you're adding a building block on one end. You're adding a building block, right. but you're, you've got to build slowly. Right. And okay. and you know, when I was at the FAA and aircraft certification is you know leading that organization, I wasn't embarrassed to to, to say it this way to a lot of the companies. I'm your unwanted partner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the the FAA is there to represent the public. The, yeah. You know the the, the public. You know the citizens of the United States of America to ensure that you're meeting a, a reasonable level of safety. Mm-hmm. And you have to take the agency along the journey, and that is that's that's a difficult task. But when you know somebody at the FAA, I, everybody that works there very takes very seriously what they do, and when they sign their name on something, whether it's a supplemental type certificate, a TC, whatever it is, they they truly are. You know, I I can hear the lawyers cringing at me now, but they're endorsing your product because they said. It meets a, a an acceptable level of safety that that is good enough for the U- United States, and that is a big deal. It's a right? hurdle. It's a that, huge it's hurdle. A, that's a huge hurdle. Right. And and so every time you have these new technologies, you have a lot of people um, within the U.S. government, not not even just with the FAA, but as is the government as a whole, to bring along that journey to convince that that new technology is not only is safe. But it is of some benefit, too. Safety benefit. From a safety benefit. Yeah, that makes sense. And you were involved with a lot of that in the past few years. Yes, yes, yes. uh, Yeah, because, I mean, even just the cockpit technology that we almost take for granted now, like angle of attack indicators um, that used to be just such high-priced items but such an important potential part of the safety pack that that that's I'm, I'm very proud of that and I'm glad you mentioned it we really didn't say much but for the for the listeners out there I started at FAA as the what was called the head of the small airplane directorate and and I was the executive over that and and one of the first things we did is re get to rewrite the part 23 regulations right. but also part of that I we I got to be part of introducing what we call NORSI non-required safety enhancing equipment. And that was an important policy change that I'm really proud of the agency of doing it. And that's how we, we let all these, these angle of attack indicators and things like that. And I was saying, 
you know, they were available for the experimental guys for, you know, less than a thousand. Sure. And and it was costing twenty thousand dollars to put on some certified unit. And we're like, there's got to be something in, in between here and get these these technologies introduced so that, you know, the angle of attack indicator is one of them. But um, we just look at the wide suite of, of things that can be introduced. I, I'm, I'm been it's been fun to watch just recently. I've seen laser altimeters introduced to GA where you can even oh. strap them onto your struts oh. and they and they and you can tie them into your Bluetooth into your uh, audio panel and it talks to you and tells you how many feet off the ground you are. Oh, now that would when you're be coming cool. in for landing and and uh, oh there there's some videos that would out be cool. YouTube that would also there. help keep retractable pilots from uh, forgetting to put their yeah. gear down. Right. Well, yeah, there's okay. there's that too and 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 um, you know available at Aircraft Spruce and uh, that and, is and cool. As Norsey, you know, wow. so you know that's lot, neat. There's a lot, you know, the big guys get to have the the computer talk to them. Why not the the rest of that us? That is really too, helpful. So. Well, I know it could be a, a huge safety margin if you're flying a seaplane. There are systems out there now. If you're flying a seaplane, yeah. you don't want to land with your amphibian yeah. wheels down. Yeah. You know. So. But yeah, Norsey is really, that was a so, huge step forward. That was, Ian and I have talked about this on Hangar Talk a little bit. I, I kind of felt like the FAA was more touchy-feely in the past few years than it had been before. Trying, uh, when you were there with certifications, ushering through some of these safety items to me yes. seemed like such a good idea rather than have the resistance from years gone by. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't like to to talk, you know, criticize anybody because the everybody's focus is safety, yeah. right? And sometimes it just takes somebody to ask, is this the safe thing to do? It may be, in, you know, w- we may look at our regulations and say that's compliance. And, and there's different camps in there, you know, compl- is safety compliance or... Does you know? Does compliance assist that? And there's other means, and uh, additional means that could can get us to, to safety. So you know, safety is always the primary the, concern. The primary concern. Uh, it is the gold standard. That's what's all driving us. But but I think when you say touchy feely, I I, lo- I look at it as no. It's changing the conversation to say no. W- what is the safe thing to do here? And one of the discussion items, uh, um, I, I got to be involved with introducing what we call the safety continuum. Okay. Uh, okay? And, and really, with, again, that goes back to safety, and that's how some of these new technologies and, the, and these new STCs got released. Because the, the fundamental question is if we make the requirements too high for a new piece of technology, it never gets introduced. Okay. okay? So there's I a balance I understand in that. There. Sure. So, yeah. so you, you know, if you make it so expensive, nobody comes out with new airplanes. Nobody updates anything. So, you know, there's that balance where you want to make sure there's a correct number of oversight and that we're making sure we're meeting a minimum level of safety. But letting these things get out into the field and get introduced um, because we want to continue, like electronic ignition, you know. Exactly. That's a a great example. example. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, that is going to be a good segue to something that I know you were working on um, before you um, uh, left the FAA. And I I really want to know your perspective on how challenging it is to get this unleaded fuel initiative across the finish line. Sure. Yeah. Um, Unleaded fuels is, um, I'm going to say, not a huge technical challenge but a huge infrastructure and impact challenge okay. because, you know, technically, you know, we can we can make 
piston engines run on all kinds of things, right? Very early in my career, I got an opportunity. I was at the Experimental Aircraft Association, and I got to be involved in the Autogas STC program okay. and, you know, introducing that. And, you know, that that's a good example of, you know, a large percentage of the fleet can run on Autogas. And, and I'm one of those that says you can safely do that now. But the, the, the problems with developing new fuels and everything is, is the entire infrastructure. We're a very small community. You have a handful of oil companies or, around the, or refineries. I'm not going to you know, say it's just oil, but refineries that have to make this fuel for us. It's chemistry, uh-huh. right? Um, they can make all kinds of chemistry for us, but we need it to be affordable, okay. not just work, right? We, we, need, we need it to... To, to be able to be distributed, the, you know, we've got to keep all the, there's safety and liability issues with those companies. You've got, you've got Lycoming and Continental and everybody else, and they've got concerns about their products, and they want to make sure that this stuff gets tested in their engine. You know, so it's just, there's so many players and so many interactions to get, uh, get to where we, we need to be. Now we're we're gonna move away from leaded fuels and, and well we have a, a date mandate and we have now. a date mandate and that's gonna happen um, you know but I, I I'm always really cautious because um, I started working fuels over 30 years ago wow and that's incredible I, I, I didn't think we were gonna be here I thought we would have changed by now yeah okay so I'm always very cautious of you know, this is the good thing in aviation. We're very cautious because safety is number one. So, you know, you don't just do things abruptly. You, you can't switch, you, a, light bulb, you can't switch uh, a light bulb, a light switch on and yeah, off. Exactly. Uh, because there's so much more uh, to this than, than what meets the eye. You illuminated a couple of things. Distribution, the mixing of the chemicals, the formula, basically. Yes. Uh, something I really didn't think about, the liability to the manufacturers right. or the engine manufacturers. And then also the airframes can't, that can use it or not yes. use it. Yes. So, um, but now we pretty much have blanket approval for at least one of the alternative fuels. The, the, well, we have multiple. Well, and we've got, we got Swift and we've got Gammy right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, and I always say, don't forget Autogas and 82 oh, Exactly, Autogas, right. Well, and, good point. You know, you know, I mean, very good there, point. There is a range of fuels out there yeah. that can operate. And, and there's also, depending on the engine, you know, you know there's engines that, that can operate on a lot of these fuels and list them on their TCs, you yeah. know, that, that have all the, these different uh, combinations. So there's lots of alternatives in there. Because of the complexity of our system, you know, you can't go and buy 8087 anymore. And you know, like we used to have all these. Right. You used to have three grades. Just well, like when I was else, a, you know? when I was a young a young tyke, my, my yeah. dad had aircraft. And I remember one air, uh, aviation fuel was like dyed red. Yes, 8087. And one yeah. was green, I think. Right. And one yeah. was, yeah. I guess, maybe still is like blue, but. Were there other colors? Oh yeah, purple Purps. and you know yeah. So uh, there's a there's a there's a range of things out yeah. there, um, and and it's really on which is the what is going to be the one the system is going to uh, uh, settle in on. And sort of those one the one that the system will accept yes. that most people will be more exactly. comfortable with. So there's going to yeah. be a bit of a when I say competition and also compromises, right? You, you, you know, there's there's first of all there's no replacement for lead. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. What what does it do yeah. that's good for air aviation engines? Well, it in, it inhibits detonation. Okay. Okay. So that that plain and, and simple and 
you know, they're, you know, getting, quote, high, there's equivalent octane numbers and things like that and, and how to get higher and all that. But we're really, we don't really care about all that. We just want to go fly our airplane and know that our engine's going to be safe and we're going to be safe when, when we go fly. And, yes, you know, we've got GAMI out there. We've got Swift. We've got a couple of, of other alternatives that are working with the FAA right. directly. So there's a suite of, uh, of them out there. And I think where we are now is not so much on is there a fuel, it's which one are we going to settle on that fits everybody's needs. When I say everybody, the entire infrastructure. And remember, this isn't just about the United States. That's true. That's a very good we, point. This is moving the world. And, and that's like, like, okay, you think it's hard dealing with the FAA? <laughs> you know. Think about how we're going to move every country. Uh, well, we got to go through EASA for yeah. for Europe, yes. and then yes. and then I don't know what the regulation uh, organizations are in in Africa right. or elsewhere. Yes, you know. You know so well, yeah, you know, once the first once I would say you know the a few of the big you know authorities approve it, it'll flow through. But um, we have to bring China along. You're going to have to bring yeah. Europe along. You know, as you said, Africa. So so it, you know. W- it's, it's a dialogue. There's just a lot of work that has to get done. And so that's the stuff that, you know, quite frankly, those of us who fly, we don't care. Just It's just sort of like, that's why we have AOPA and, and other – no, I mean – We know, appreciate that. that. Yeah. AOPA has been why. part of that fuel dialogue yes. Um, yes. For, for probably two decades right. at least. And uh, ever since I've been here, I remember one of the first weeks I was here, there was a meeting here at AOPA and it had some FAA officials as well. And that just – that dialogue has not stopped. It just right. – it hasn't been front and center, but it hasn't stopped since then. Yes. Yeah. So, again, depending on, on where you are, I'm confident there'll be a fuel for everyone to operate. What's that transition going to look like? I don't know. We've had some difficult transitions. If you look at history, people don't think about this. We, we went from 100 to 130 to 100 low lead back in the 70s. Okay. And when that, when that transition occurred, there were a whole lot of airplanes leaking fuel. Oh, and what it what it happened is the chemistry changed a little bit, and so the seals reacted differently. Oh right! And we had to go through that whole situation. So, I'm I I I'm wouldn't be surprised if we have a few bumps along the way. <laughs> yeah, well, it could happen because yeah. because even though the, these different fuels have been tested and tested extensively. They're not all out in the field right. in some of the rough environments in every single yes. way you could use this. That's right. And you're right about the seals. That's a really interesting deduction. And, you know, I used to fly a Mooney. I know that the, that aircraft, sometimes you could put bladders in them. Some of the 182 yep. Cessnas have bladders. I have bladders. Some of the Beechcrafts have bladders, right. So we need to see how it plays with that. Y- yeah, and, and it's not a, just a material compatibility situation because think about, you know, many of us, I've changed my bladders, but many people have bladders that may be 30, 40, 50 years old. Right. Okay. So how a new chemical will react to, to that, older. To older to, oh, I so got it you. could be compatible with a brand new Which one and you can put sense. a brand new one in, but an older one, it may, you know. Oh, so I wouldn't have it, thought of that. So these, yeah. So those are the kind yeah, of things like, so you're like, why don't they just approve everything? Well, that's the kind of stuff that everybody's working how through. How interesting. Because... Yeah, I mean, let's face it. You know, if you have an older aircraft and you had and and you didn't know any of this stuff, you just got into aviation. You're a private pilot, bought an airplane, and now somebody changes the fuel, and now I got this big bill. You know, because I got to go through through my aircraft, and, and people will be unhappy out, with so. that. All right, uh, putting on that and uh, staring in that crystal ball one more time. <laughs> 
how soon do you think we'll get this accomplished? Just as a GA pilot now. You know, I hesitate to pick a number because it, it, it as I said, it's almost more of a political process than it is a, te a technical process. We know we can make it te work technically. We know we can make part. it technically okay. for the most. Now, now, getting it available to everybody and out there, and how, that's yeah. all. That, that's the that's the hard. It's a challenge. That's the challenge. But right now, when we are using Avgas, certain certain chemicals from that Avgas are coming from overseas, and yes. so that really is a hindrance to well, uh, to us. What if right. something happened to the supply well, well, chain see, that, for that? that? That's my that's my worry, and, and I'm glad to hear the advocates of the new fuels speaking up to that because we are reliant on one supplier of tetraethyl lead, the main, you know, the main component. It's only made one place in the world. That's it. You know, one plant. They have a fire tomorrow. That's it. Okay. GA is not going anywhere well, for well, a while. There's some supply in the, in the network. It doesn't fall apart on day on day one. But we, we're gonna, you know, we really need to make the that transition. And of course, we know communities are, oh, of course, are very absolutely. upset about. Yeah. Our lead well, we've seen that. We've seen that in California already. Exactly. The threats to a couple of airports. Yes. We've talked about that on Hangar Talk. Right. And so, and we want to make it so that the public is happy with GA, not unhappy. Yes. You know, so that's a key consideration. And for pilots, we want to have that peace of mind that everything's going to work. Right. Exactly. Oh, gotcha. so. Well, we had a great conversation today. You want, Give us a, uh, before we wrap up, and we appreciate you coming down, Earl, give us a website for X-Wing, or how can we follow along with what you're doing in the sure. cargo industry? Well, xwing.com. Okay. okay. So X-Wing. Okay. <laughs> all right. Dot com. I know that you, you're going to get, if you just put it in the Google search, you'll get all these Star Wars things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but actually, xwing.com is, is our primary website. And and if you just if you were to look up automation in a caravan, you know, you'll get a bunch of YouTube videos and you might see a couple of our competitors. There's a few of those out there sure. as well. Um, and then our, our primary air carrier for those. Anybody happens to be a pilot looking for a job. Um, and there and, you go. Martin Air. Martin Air. So if you go to Martin Air and uh, I love it. And yeah, we're looking for pilots. You know, I, I think that's I always find that I the irony in that here we're working on automation. And I'm like, we but need we pilots. need right. We you need, need pilots. pilots. That's yeah. great. Well, that's <laughs> a good opportunity for folks. So martinair.com, yep. xwing.com, yep. And we can uh, keep an eye on the future. Earl, we're glad that you're there. I'm, I'm personally, I'm glad you're there helping usher some of this in from your regulation background, your regulatory background, and pushing for some of the stuff that we really wanted to see in GA. That's refreshing to me. It is. It is. It'll be a benefit to all of us. Uh, you know, it's 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 progress. And, you know, I, I, I certainly believe, you know, things like uh, Piper Cubs are going to be around forever, you know, because some of us just want to go fly for fun. Yeah. And that will continue. But, uh, you know, to, to improve the commercial end of the business, we're going to see a lot more automation. Well, sounds good. We appreciate it. Any final thoughts I didn't ask you about? Is there something that you wanted to get across that I that I didn't uh, quiz you on? Well, um, one, one thing I just wanted to highlight for all the new innovations and for all of us in aviation and those who are trying to introduce new things, a colleague of mine at the FAA had brought up something. It's about the trust bank, okay? And I just wanted to say we're dedicated at X-Wing to building our trust with, it, with 
with the aviation community, trust with the agency, and well, we have to get trust with our investors too. So that 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 we can do all of that, but it really is building that trust bank to show that we can operate within the aviation community, and we're dedicated to to doing that and doing that well and increasing safety for all of us. Appreciate you coming by Hangar Talk and spending some time with us, Earl. We we'll look forward to seeing you in the skies. Thank you. All right, so obviously a, a connected guy, a smart guy. However, I'm going to pull up the red card here and say Uh-oh. that I do not believe that ground-based drone, autonomous flying, or whatever, is going to provide additional opportunities for pilots who maybe aren't in the system now. I think the medical requirements are probably not going to change. You know, controllers have to have third-class medicals. So I suppose maybe if you had a, can't maintain a first, but you could maintain a third, maybe then we could be talking. But I, I don't see the FAA just saying, ah, forget it. You know, anybody who flies an autonomous aircraft, ah, you don't need to have a medical. I just don't see that happening. Well, there are some parameters that we still need to adhere to. And you're talking about decision-making skills as well as, as, well as physical ability to hear and to see. And, and uh, just as if you were in the aircraft, you're controlling it on the ground. I think some of that technology could uh, could cross over into some of the designs that we're seeing on the drawing boards right now. And I will just, uh, you know, looking into my crystal ball, I'll say we'll just have to see what the future does hold. <laughs> all right. Thanks, David. That's all the time we have. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and on YouTube. All right, Ian. See you next time. See ya. Hangertalk. From AOPA, your freedom to fly.